Hello, I'm Kerry Godleyman. I play Hannah in Derek, Ricky Gervais's new sitcom. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kerry, Godlim- Kerry A. Godleyman. I must get that right, yes. So, Kerry, how did you get into comedy? Um, I... I did a course at City Lit, a stand-up comedy course. I was an actor anyway, a sort of jobbing actor, and always loved comedy and always sort of had a feeling that I would be better suited to comedy. But um, as is often the case with acting, you don't really get to choose what you do. So you get what you get. And what I was finding I was getting was a lot of um, police women and nurses and two lines and saying, this way, madam, the ambulance is over here. And I just wasn't sort of very fulfilled. So, and I'd always loved stand up, but never really had the guts to go for it. So I did a course at City Lit, which is an adult education college in London. And I sort of did it with a mate, kind of deluded myself that I was just doing it as an experiment or for fun or curiosity, but I didn't really predict that it would come to anything. And then did a gig at the end, sort of showcase. And then I got the bug and just started gigging. And you just gig and gig and do the open mic circuit. And then if that goes quite well, you do competitions. And then if competitions go quite well, you end up in finals. And if you end up in finals, you pick up an agent and then it all sort of keeps going down that road. And then as my stand-up career kind of uh, progressed it did start to influence the acting side and then I started getting comedy castings and finally not playing police women and not that there's anything against police women but they were slightly boring parts <laughs> and so what was your first gig like the first gig was that showcase gig for the course and I was really nervous and I remember sort of running up and down the street it was up in uh, Islington and I remember running around in the street to sort of try and kind of dispel some of Um, my nerves and stuff but it was brilliant and I did reasonably well for uh, first gig although it was mainly attended by sort of mates and mates of other acts but I really loved it and I did kind of get the bug really. And what kind of material did you do? Uh, It was all observational it was about adverts which is terribly hack um, and about wordplay you know things like gravity defying cream and sort of picking apart you know the logistics of truly gravity defying cream and things like that that was I remember sort of and things like the gas man saying he'll be around sometime between nine and ten or nine and two so I rocked up at four so screw him and things like that it's just awful really when I look back on half of it but yeah they were the general sort of themes and so how often did you start gigging after your first gig I gathered quite quickly from other acts that if you want to kind of move forward or get good, you've got to gig a lot. And uh, living in London is a massive advantage and having a driving license and a car is a massive advantage. So I gigged a lot and made a decision really that I was just going to throw myself at it because at the time I didn't have any, I didn't have kids and uh, I wasn't in a relationship when I started and I didn't have a day job even. I mean, a lot of comics do their apprenticeship and they, they'll gig every night and they'll get up and go to work in the day. But because I was an actor, um, I could sort of do both and have a lie-in or whatever. So I was able to just throw myself at it. And yeah, so I, I just made a decision and gigged a lot and tried to at least gig, at least gig two or three times a week if I could get the stage time. And then uh, you said in your perfect playlist for Chortle that Some Like It Hot inspired you to learn the tenor sax. So did you always want to pursue some kind of performance as a career? And how long did you play the saxophone for? Uh, the sax was f- short-lived, unfortunately, because I, I wasn't that good at it and it requires a, a level of discipline that I wasn't prepared to put in. But um, I, yeah, I've always wanted to perform, I think. I think from, I, do, I used to do, you know, little 
ballet and tap and dance classes as a kid. But then I think most little girls do. I don't think that's the beginning necessarily of a performing career. But um, I, I used to go to drama clubs and stuff like that. And I kind of... I remember feeling if I did drama at school or drama at my drama clubs and stuff like that, that if other kids messed about, it irritated me. I was like, come on, just take this seriously. And I thought, actually, that's an indication that I'm I'm taking this possibly more seriously than an 11-year-old maybe should. Uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of knew that I wanted to do it. And then in 2008, you performed your debut Edinburgh show, This Is Not What I Was Expecting. Um, and you've also performed in a sketch duo, Godwin and Lane. And then in 2011, you performed Wonder Woman. So what's been your experiences of the Edinburgh Festival? I've been a lot. I've been in package shows as well as those shows you mentioned. And I've been in plays and I've been involved in films that were sort of filmed at the festival as well. I feel mostly quite positive about it I feel like it's a it's a big deal to go to Edinburgh it not only financially but in terms of your time um but I've always felt that it's creatively um the most exciting thing that you can do because you when else am I going to get the opportunity to get that amount of stage time and sort of demonstrate you know my writing so Mostly my feelings about it are positive on a creative level, but, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a massive deal because you start really gearing up for it in January and you don't do it till August. And I think there was a time when possibly the fringe was something where you would experiment. I think now people are less inclined to sort of make too much experimentation because it's a big financial risk. So unless you're doing the free fringe, you really have to make sure that show is tight by the time you take it up there because you can't risk saying well I was experimenting you know it's like well forget it because it's too much competition and it costs too much money to dick around in a hut for <laughs> for a month <laughs> really well um in an interview at the Edinburgh Festival in 2011 you were talking about how it was interesting that the majority of female stand-ups have been given the 6pm slot oh yeah and then in, in 2003, you took part in the Funny Women competition. So do you feel that since you started performing comedy that the industry has become more welcoming to women performing stand-up? Maybe it has, actually. That is something I've seen. I mean, someone like Sarah Millican breaking through, she wasn't there when in 2003. And there was always a kind of conversation about, well, there's only Jenny Eclair and Joe Brand and da-da-da. Now, and now there's... Sarah and she's kind of broken the glass ceiling a bit and she's one of the biggest selling working comics now so I think that has made a difference actually and people like Sarah Pascoe and um, you know there just are more women about now uh, Chappie, Corsandi and stuff I think there's less of a conversation about it but and yet we're still asked about it so I think we'll only know when when we'll only know when women aren't asked about it and when men get asked about what it feels like to be a male comic that that could be a turning point. Well, recently you performed on Live at the Apollo. So how did you feel just before you came on stage? Uh, I was very excited, to be honest. I was nervous most of the day. Um, but then actually something clicked just before I went on stage and I did. I just felt quite positive about it and thought, no, I'm going to enjoy this. Everyone had said it's a good gig. You know, it's good fun. Everybody's there because they want to be there. It's a great room to play. There's a lot of goodwill. I knew my set very well. I knew that those jokes worked or they worked most of the time. But bloody unfortunate if they let me down when it really mattered. But I um, I just made a weird sort of decision where I was going to be like, no, I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. And I did. Apart from performing at Live at the Apollo and of course at the Edinburgh Festival, you've also performed at clubs across the UK. So how do you feel that audiences compare and different regions react to your comedy? 
generally it's been quite positive. I don't go to as many regions of late uh, since having kids. I did used to travel a lot more, so I would gig up north regularly and go all over the country, but I, I tend not to these days. I, I still will go to some clubs because I just love some clubs and they're quite near family members that live there, so I can kind of make it a trip for the kids as well. But I have never particularly found a regional difference, if I'm honest. I think sometimes people say, oh, uh, you know, given that I'm a Londoner, that Northerners might be more hostile or whatever, but I've never, I've, I've never experienced that. Generally speaking, I've found it's pretty much across the board. Have you found that you've got heckled a lot? No, I've never been particularly heckled. No, I've never really found that to be a thing. I don't think my act invites heckling. If people heckle, it's usually not in a hostile or malevolent way. It's just joining in or having a conversation with me. People have said sometimes my stage persona is like a mate chatting down the pub. And I think sometimes people genuinely think they can chip in. And it's not meant crappily. It's just joining in. And that's fine, you know. And your new Radio 4 series, Kerry's List, uh, which you've both written and you're starring in, is about the mania of having a to-do list. And in 2011, uh, your Edinburgh show, Wonder Woman, had a similar theme of articulating how women try and do too much. So have you found it tough raising a family and also pursuing a career in comedy? Um, I'd be lying if I said it was really tough because I have a very, very supportive partner that has made it doable I think if my husband had a nine to five job uh I don't think we'd be having this conversation really I just don't think I'd be able to do my job and do what I do I certainly wouldn't have been able to do Edinburgh's because you know that requires a month of my time so I can't say it's been hugely tough and I think if I did have a sort of job in banking or something careery I I don't know if I wore a power suit and went off to work every day at six in the morning I I think that would be tougher in all honesty, I think that would be harder. I think stand-up is a career that sort of fits quite well around parenthood, to be honest. My kids are asleep when I go to work. So that all fits quite well. And you've appeared a lot on television in Miranda, Dead Boss, Getting On. And you're also one of the lead characters, Hannah, in Ricky Gervais's new sitcom, Derek. So what can audiences expect from Derek? Mm, it's difficult to know how to explain what they will expect. I don't think they will expect what they're expect they won't get what they're expecting if you know what I mean so uh it is it's quite moving it's very um it's very much a drama uh, with comedy as opposed to a comedy with drama I think um it's very sincere uh and it's quite rich it's quite sort of it's got a kind of depth to it that maybe people won't have seen before I don't know. I can't. I don't want to get. I don't want to tell people what to, how to respond to it, um, because you know it's quite. A, it's very unusual. I, don't, I can't think of anything else quite like it, um, and I think that's quite a. That's an accomplishment in itself. I think so many things have a tendency to be a little bit generic, and I think to create something truly new and original, love or hate it, is an amazing achievement. And having performed comedy, both live and on television, do you prefer performing on stage or on screen? Comedy on television is is acting, because I, I, well, apart from Apollo, but invariably it'll be acting. And then on stage, invariably it's stand-up. So they're quite different sort of things. And I do love both. And sometimes I have phases where I get a bit fed up with one and then I'll go and do the other and then I'm sort of happy to go back to, you know, I feel like life is a bit more interesting with a bit more diversity, so... 
I, I would be lying if I said I had a preference for one or the other. Somebody said to me, not long after, another comic, a circuit comic, I walked into a green room not long after the pilot of um, Derek went out and he said, well, that's you sorted, isn't it? That's you off the circuit. And I thought, no, I don't know if I will. I don't, I, you know, I, I, there's a sort of implication there that everyone's trying to get off the circuit, but I, I do love stand-up, you know, and I really do enjoy it. And I think when I stop, I sort of miss it and... Um, get very shouty and ranty at dinner parties and it's a sort of like I'll go and do a gig Kerry get it off your chest you know it's that sort of feeling really I think there was a, I remember seeing an interview years ago with Charlie Watts the drummer from the Rolling Stones and he says in the end his wife just pushes him on tour because she's like I'll oh, just stop banging plates and stuff and go and do a gig it, it is a bit like that I become a bit of a ranty bore in real life if I haven't got my you know if I haven't done a gig and do you have any tips or advice for aspiring comics not really. That's a, it's a question that comes up a lot. I don't think, other than just telling people to work hard, and it's not a particularly original response, but I, you just have to you have to gig a lot to 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 get your voice. I know they call it it's a cliche, but to find your comedy voice, you just have to do it a lot. Um, and sometimes writing, uh, the act of writing and having tons and tons of word documents with all these amazing sort of observations isn't quite the same as just getting on stage and developing stagecraft, really. And uh, you studied acting at the Rose Bruford School. Do you have any tips or advice for students? Oh, God, I wouldn't... I, I can't imagine giving students generally any advice, particularly. <laughs> I mean, God, um, acting students... Uh, no, not really. I think if somebody is determined enough to get to drama school, then they pretty much don't need my advice, you know, because it's quite hard to get in and you've got to... You know, you've got to be quite good to get in. Although I don't know, things might have changed. But um, uh, you have to sort of work reasonably hard and have a certain amount of fun. Like most things in life, it's all about balance, isn't it? I mean, I did have a lot of fun at drama school. And creatively, it was the most exciting time I can remember because you could be doing, you could be working on two or three different plays and therefore two or three different characters. So sometimes you, you, you feel a bit, you know, like you've got four characters rattling around in your head and you can need to think about all their motivations and all those wanky things. But um, it it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And I think what maybe you have to consider as a drama student is that this might be the most exciting time of your acting career whilst studying, not necessarily in the profession. Because once you're in the profession, you don't really have an opportunity to talk about why your character's got those shoes on or what their favourite element or colour is. No one gives a toss. So actually at drama school, that's when those things are explored so make the most of it really and when you finished your training it's a good idea to not expect everything to happen too quickly and to maybe do something like become a stand-up and go on the circuit or do plays around old people's homes or do something that makes you proactive in developing your own career